0: Welcome to KASB's The Advocate Podcast for November 17th, 2022. I'm Leah Fleider and I'm joined today by my advocacy colleagues, Scott Rothschild and John Forer, and as usual by our fabulous producer, Alec Madrigal. Today we're going to talk a lot, and I mean a lot, about special education funding. We'll also cover the November 8th elections and their impact on Kansas public schools. KSB and other education advocates are calling on the state legislature to fully fund special education at 92% of districts' excess costs as required by state law. Excess cost means the cost of providing educational services to disabled and gifted students above and beyond what's provided by general education funding and the federal government's share of special ed funding. The state hasn't met the legal requirement for special education cost reimbursement since 2011, and the current statewide rate is about 71%. It would cost the 2023 legislature $155 million to fully fund special education at the required level. Before we go further, I want to be clear. Special education funding is required to be provided in addition to the general education funding approved as a result of the Gannon School Finance case. So when you hear people say, we just gave you all this money for schools, lawmakers are referring to Gannon funding, not special education. And while school boards are grateful for the Gannon funding, special education needs and costs are increasing and causing intense pressure on the general education budget and population. When the state legislature underfunds special education, school districts must transfer money from their general education funds to cover the costs of mandatory special education services. Those general education funds could be spent on restoring programs and teacher positions that were sacrificed while the Gannon case was working its way through the courts. Or districts could be adding new programs and services for every child in the school district. Ultimately at the end of the day, or the legislative session, underfunding special education hurts all Kansas school children. Last week, an interim House Senate committee held a hearing on special education funding. John, would you review what the committee talked about and its possible next steps?
1: Yeah, so I'm just going to highlight uh, some of the key points of discussion that that occurred during the meeting and then I'm going to share the uh, four um, proposed options that were kind of presented to the committee um, about kind of what are the next steps going forward as this discussion comes up during the legislative session, and then I'll probably stop just for any commentary um, if Scott or Leah has anything as we're going. So first, um, there was a pretty big discussion over kind of which bed ca- or special education uh, student count was more important. Um, so the two that you hear about is your headcount enrollment, which is, uh, over 88,000 students, um, versus your full-time equivalency, um, which is used by the Consensus Revenue Estimating Group, um, when they're calculating excess cost, that counts at 29,000. Um, kind of beyond this, uh, getting into more of the breakdown of which disabilities are kind of more prevalent compared to others, um, there's a lot of discussion over one category, um, that is the developmentally delayed growth. Um, this is a 14th disabil- uh, disability category um, under IDEA, but it is up to the state to determine if they actually want to include that in their, uh, in their funding. So this category it, uh, is for children ages three to nine. Um, it works for those who have uh, physical, cognitive, communi- uh, communicative, social or emotional or adaptive um, delayed development. And so some of the questions that were raised by the committee was kind of like who sets the, the kind of threshold for determining determining if a kid falls into these categories, um, if that was a federally stated or if it was determined by the state.
0: What did you think, Scott? You were in the room as well.
2: Well, I think the committee had a lot of questions, as as John has mentioned, and uh, uh, there were a lot of uh, kind of facts thrown out. It was a day-long committee meeting, and uh, uh, I think there were some, uh, based on the questions, I think we're getting an indication of where uh, at least Republican leadership is uh, on this question of increased funding.
0: Yeah, it seemed pretty obvious. I think John, um, I think John's going to go into it, but but uh, it seemed from uh, from the observations of those of us who were in the room that the at least the majority makeup of the committee is looking for ways to say we don't want to spend any more money on special education. Why are certain kids getting certain services? You know, how, how can we avoid spending any more money on special education in Kansas? I think that was pretty much the upshot. So, John, we'll turn it back over to you.
1: So another major discussion um, was kind of this disparity in this percentage of excess costs um, that districts receive um, from around the state. So um, legislators had pointed out um, from a document from the Kansas Department of Education that some districts are receiving upwards of 200 percent of their excess cost reimbursed to them through state aid um, while other districts are only receiving 60%. Um, One reason that this can happen uh, is because special education is or special education aid is distributed based upon the full-time equivalency number of special education teachers that a district has. Um, This ties in because 86% of special education expenditures are tied to salary. Mm -hmm. So the number of teachers that you employ and their salary um, can cause some of these disparities. But it's worth noting that while there are disparities maybe from state to state, the formula is intended to be funded at a state um, aggregate level at 92%. But that does raise some questions from legislators and others of is this fair or is this equitable that some districts are receiving 200% versus some are receiving 60%. Um, And finally, uh, there was some discussion over how special education reserves have grown. Mm -hmm. And this always gets a little complicated because of the way that the funding is set up. So um, just as a reminder, districts received their final uh, special education payment in June. Um, At this point, you know, the school year is over. That's right. Most of their special education expenditures have already been paid for. But they got all this, they got this money that is then in reserve. They do not receive their next payment until October. So, from July or from June to October, that last payment that they get will be used to pay for any of the expenditures in the upcoming school year. However, um, the way that uh, KSDE reports unencumbered uh, cash balances, that is on July 1. Mm -hmm. So, it appears that this large amount of money that is being paid in June, that is not being spent until the school year starts back up, appears as unencumbered or it's
0: not being spent that that people are just sitting on cash just to sit on cash.
1: Anyway, those were kind of three major points of discussion um, that came up throughout the day. Um, Do you guys want to add anything else before I kind of get into the kind of four proposed options? Well, Scott,
0: you want to talk about um, let's see, let's talk about practitioners maybe who were asked to testify. Were there a lot? Were there a lot of teachers? Were there a lot of uh, special education administrators? Were there parents who testified? How did that work? Well,
2: it, it was a day-long hearing, and I believe most of the testimony uh, was based on uh, handouts provided by the State Department of Education, mm-hmm. the Legislative Research Department, uh, and as far as public testimony from practitioners or people who are very familiar with hands-on, on-the-ground mm-hmm. uh, special education, uh, there was one uh, person, uh, Kyle Carlin, mm-hmm. uh, from a co-op out in western Kansas who was allowed to testify, and he gave fantastic testimony. Uh, you were uh, uh, allowed to testify, and uh, uh, a uh, representative of the Kansas Policy Institute mm-hmm. was allowed to testify. But as far as people with you know, first-hand knowledge mm-hmm. uh, of, of special ed, there wasn't uh, a lot of time spent with folks like that and, and that's why we encourage uh, people throughout the state who have that firsthand that's knowledge right. to uh, to talk with their legislators. Uh, you know, John brought up the the uh, wide variance in, uh, in uh, rates across yeah. the state. I think this is something we're going to be asked about a lot and I mean, uh, John, you looked at this a little closer than me, but it seems to me that the districts that were getting more than the 92% were generally smaller districts, and the districts that are getting way less than 92% are really large districts. So the underfunding is affecting the larger districts where most of the kids are. And when I looked at that list, it seemed like that to me, but, but uh, yeah, the, the, the meeting was uh, uh, not, not heavy on facts and experiences from those Uh, very, uh, those who are very familiar with uh, the the delivery of special education services. So at the end of the meeting, um,
1: the committee chair provided a list of four potential options um, to be kind of evaluated and addressed um, kind of going forward on the topic of special education. So the first option is to fund special education at 92%. Um, Some of the questions that were kind of presented with this is, uh, if funding is increased, um, would there be some type of measurable outcome? Um, One example that was provided was, uh, what percent of IEP goals are met annually? Um, Another question, uh, would some districts, again, kind of back on this topic of maybe differences in funding, with an increase, would there be some districts that would then receive like upwards of 300% reimbursement? while others may still fall below 92%. And then, of course, there's the uh, maintenance of effort, which we've heard about before, some concerns over that. Um, if the state does increase to $150 million and the federal government decides to contribute some, whether it's all, I mean, it's not going to be all of it, but if yeah. they were to contribute <laughs> more, um, <clears throat> would the state be able to recoup any of the money that they had paid in, should the federal government pay uh as well. Um, The second was to shift excess or above constitutional funding uh, to special education. Uh, So one example that was provided uh, on the topic of uh, high density funding, it's $50 million that is set to expire, is it this year? Yes. And so one of the proposals was to shift that $50 million from high density um, and put that into special education as a way to increase that number as well. Uh, Third uh, is to amend Kansas statute Mm -hmm. um, in some way. um, Some of the kind of proposals or maybe questions that were included uh, were concerns. uh, So there were some concerns raised over how uh, money was being spent, Mm -hmm. um, kind of specifically in terms of administrative or utility costs. Um, So if you're a district and you have a SPED director or you have a separate building for your special education students, um, these these would be excess costs that mm-hmm. go above educating a general ed student. And so th- these expenses would probably most likely, I don't want to speak because I'm not an attorney <laughs> or a budget guy, but would most likely be allowable. But those were kind of called into some question there. Right. And then they also mentioned maybe re- defining what expenditures uh, could be spent, again, tying back into the administrative or utilities, um, specifically outlining which expenditures could be um Our special education Mm -hmm. funds could be used on. And then the final option that was on the piece of paper um, was to reestablish the special education task force to look more into the uh, special education funding. And so I'll just kind of note that these were the four options that were presented. That doesn't mean there aren't other options on Mm -hmm. the table. Those were just kind of the four maybe front of the mind um, options to address. And that it may not be going forward it may not just be one option Mm -hmm. that is focused on it could be a combination of one two or all, all four um to kind of proceed forward in terms of addressing
0: the shortfall in special education funding i was struck by the potential for a lot of micromanagement in in some of these uh proposals that we saw at the end so people uh people should be aware of that Yeah,
2: again, I mean, we need to, uh, our our special ed advocates and education leaders need to talk with their legislators and uh, uh, tell them what the situation is in their district and and what needs to be done because these seem like very Mm high-level, what was going on in the committee, very high-level looks and and making decisions on very uh, uh, high-level
0: viewpoints. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. Well, along the lines of, of sharing your story and getting the word out, uh, there, while the committee was meeting, there was a news conference just outside in the Capitol Rotunda about special education funding. Scott, would you bring our listeners up to speed about the press conference? Sure. Thank
2: you, Leah. Uh, there were we, a bunch of education groups, including KASB. Uh, we uh, kind of coordinated to put this news conference together and uh, really had people in the state house all day. Uh, to uh, provide information about special education. Uh, We had pretty much kind of an all-star lineup at the news conference. Uh, We had uh, Sarah Janke of Prairie Village. She's the parent of a special education student. We had uh, Shawnee Mission uh, uh, Superintendent Michelle Hubbard and uh, we had Amy Hossler, director of the Holton uh, Special Education Cooperative. And we had uh, Shannon Kimball, Uh, president of uh, the Lawrence uh, uh, School District and also uh, the chair of our legislative committee here at KASB, a former KASB president, and Anjanette Tolman, who is from, uh, I believe she's a special... Yes, Mm -hmm. the special ed director at Olathe. So we had wonderful people speaking at this news conference. With actual knowledge. Yes, with a lot of knowledge, with a lot of, uh, uh, I mean, uh, the Shawnee Mission superintendent, Michelle Hubbard, she talked about... In Johnson County alone, schools are, transf- are diverting 60 million dollars from general education to support special ed. So when we talk about the underfunding of special education, uh, Johnson County, 60 million dollars. I mean that is money that, if it was provided, and then could, the general fund could be made whole, that could be that money could be used to increase salaries, to hire paraprofessionals. Um, uh, Michelle said there are 450 paraprofessional openings in Johnson County. Um, you know, uh, I, I think uh, Anjanette Tolman, uh, she said in Olathe, I believe the shortfall was about $8 million, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they are getting uh, funded about 54% mm-hmm. of the additional costs, state losses, 92%. So, I mean, uh, uh, basically, the... I think the tone of the news conference was the the, the state of Kansas uh, needs to meet its obligation and uh, and uh, uh, fund fund the law as they said they would. Um, and I will note one thing that did come in uh, and it has come up several times is the federal government isn't yeah. funding the law the ways that they said they would either. So uh, you know, um, it's one thing to require these services. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's another thing to fund them. And uh, we've got the requirements down. Yeah. We just need to get the funding.
0: Yeah. And we're going to come back to a, call, uh, a specific call to action here at the, in a few minutes at the end of the podcast. But I also want to touch on the, uh, the November 8th election. Um, that's going to have some impacts on uh, public schools in Kansas. Governor Laura Kelly, who ran for office as the education governor for her first term, was elected to a second four-year term in uh, on November eighth. during the campaign and over actually the previous uh, few days uh, before we recorded this podcast, uh, the Democratic governor has stated that she wants to fully fund special education, fully fund k twelve for the fifth year coming up, and invest in early childhood programs. Those are some of her uh, education specific goals. But as a result of the Legislative elections and the continued Republican supermajority in our state house, the governor is going to face some headwinds in accomplishing her education agenda. So, John, would you uh, review for us the state of play in the state legislature?
1: Yeah, so if I remember correctly, uh, well, Republicans did maintain a supermajority, and if I remember correctly, they, I believe they. Uh, Democrats did pick up one seat. I think so, yeah. Uh, net one, but that is still not enough to uh, swing the supermajority. Um, so theoretically, um, if the Republicans were to vote as a caucus, they would be able to overturn any veto um, that the gover- uh, Governor Kelly would send their direction. Um, this is important on some topics on education. Um, there were two bills last year, there was the Parents' Bill of Rights and the Transgender Athletes Bill that were both vetoed by the governor, um, and when they reappeared back in the House, they both failed to garner the 84 votes uh, that would be needed to override the veto. So again, kind of going forward, while Governor Kelly does have the opportunity to veto any legislation, um, the supermajority, again, theoretically, voting, voting as a caucus would be able to override any of those vetoes.
0: Yeah, and that, that will include you know possible fights over inflationary adjustments to Gannon. You know, there's a number a number of, of things that could come into play. The education in savings accounts. Yeah, uh, education savings vouchers. accounts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's going to be really uh, important for our listeners to make sure that they're engaging with their legislators now, in November and December. Don't wait until January, because when they get to Topeka in January, they will all tell you, especially for the new people. It's like drinking from a fire hose. You know, we always hear that they're just, you know, they're just deluged with information. So this would be a good time uh, to just meet people for coffee, get to know them a little bit and establish yourself as a a trusted source of education, Uh, education matters and and information uh, for uh, on behalf of their local constituents who vote for them. Now, Scott, the, el- the election also means that we had some changeover in some of the State Board of Education seats, and it has become, it appears that the State Board is going to be more ideologically conservative. So do you want to talk about that and how that might affect the State Board culture and some of the votes that it makes?
2: Sure. I think it's fair to say that uh, the current makeup of the State Board is uh, reasonably moderate, uh, and uh, what... Happened over the election is uh, uh, three uh, very conservative uh, candidates: uh, one uh, in the uh, two, two won in the primary, and then one in the general election. And then uh, another. I, I think Michelle Dombrowski, uh, who is a state board member uh, in the North, in the Johnson County area. Uh, I think generally she's considered a conservative. Uh, you know, uh, the, these, these terms are sometimes they're kind of yeah, loosey-goosey. Loose. But uh, uh, the, the three that will join uh, on the board are uh, uh, Dennis Hershberger of Hutchinson, uh, Kathy Hopkins of H- Hayes. Uh, they won their Central and West Kansas districts in the August Republican Party primary, and neither faced a Democratic opponent in the election, in the November general election. And uh, Danny Zeck. A Republican defeated uh, Democrat Jeff Howards uh, in the northeast Kansas district that had been held by Democrat uh, Janet Waugh. Janet Waugh is going off the board. Uh, she was basically redistricted out of existence. Gerrymandered. Yes, <laughs> is what you're trying to yes. say. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, so uh, so Hopkins, and Zeck will join the board. Uh, I think it's fair to say from their comments. Uh, that I've seen in the media, uh, they are fairly um, uh, extremely conservative, uh, very anti-woke, uh, uh, to use the expression that's getting bandied about a lot. Uh, they uh, uh, they don't they don't want CRT, they don't want SEL. So these are the things that uh, we may see um, uh, a lot of more a lot more discussion on these topics at the state board level. Uh, so uh, tune in. You know, every month they meet uh, second Tuesday of the month, and uh, that th- those meetings may be uh, 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 generate more news than they have in the past couple of years.
0: All right, thanks. Well, I promised a, a call to action, and we're going to do that now. Before we leave today, I know people are headed to Thanksgiving. Maybe you're listening to this podcast as you're driving to your Thanksgiving dinner. Alex like I don't know could be or maybe not (laughs) but anyway we want to talk about our special education funding social media campaign there's a hashtag fully fund sped and you can head over to the KASB Twitter and Facebook accounts to join the conversation online and to share facts about how underfunding special education impacts all students in your district you can share that on Twitter and on Facebook but most importantly Board members and education leaders, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, should be meeting with your legislators now, in November and December before the session starts, to explain to people how your district serves disabled and gifted students. You know, if you're a member of a co-op, you know, you might explain that co-op or interlocal interlocal funding model, which is um, a little bit confusing, and uh, and can can have people asking questions. So explain how that works. And really talk with your legislators about how you could better serve all students when lawmakers provide the $150 million needed to fully fund SPED. Hashtag fully fund SPED. And, you know, in the past we heard, well, we can't afford to do it. You know, the state's in terrible financial shape and we can't afford any more funding. Well, I think we we just got a consensus revenue estimate last week and the state has $4 billion in the bank. That's billion with a B. Now's the time to hashtag Fully Fundspent. That's it for the November 17th edition of the Advocate Podcast. We'll talk at you again in a couple of weeks, and happy Thanksgiving, everyone.
3: Running a school district is more work than most people realize. From leading a diverse staff to protecting the health and safety of employees and students, the work of an educational leader is never done. It can be overwhelming to find solutions to the challenges facing a district, but you don't have to lead your schools alone. Kansas Board Solutions, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Kansas Association of School Boards, is here to help you find the solutions you need to support your students and staff effectively and efficiently. With a full suite of technology and insurance solutions, KBS offers an array of services to benefit your school district. We know districts continue to face a wide range of challenges as student needs change, staffing requirements evolve, districts' facilities age, and much more. As a wholly owned subsidiary of KASB, KBS fulfills its mission by keeping money in local schools instead of spending it on huge year-end bonuses or high-flying corporate retreats. All of this helps us achieve our goal of helping you build and run the best schools in the nation. With KBS, you are truly getting a partner in education that serves you with a purpose. Wondering what KBS offers and how you might use it? The answer is simple. If you're in need of a software, insurance, or resources solution, KBS should be your first call. Learn more at www.kasb.org solutions.